Amen. Now, a couple generations ago, when the computer revolution began, uh, the pioneers in the field uh, coined a brand new word. And in those days, not many people really knew how to operate a computer. In fact, nobody did. Uh, and those who did made lots of mistakes because it was a brand new field. And sometimes the new adopters would enter the wrong data only to discover a universal truth when it comes to computers. If the raw data that is input is bad, the computer can't do anything good with it. What you put into a computer determines what comes out. If you put the right data in, the right answers come out, and the reverse is also true. And in order to communicate that truth, a new word was coined, and it describes in four letters both the cause and the consequences of putting the wrong data into the computer. Most computer buffs know the word I'm talking about, and the word is GIGO. It stands for garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. Those four letters summarize a huge truth about computers. What you put in determines what you get out on the other side. If your input is garbage, take a guess what your output will be. Yep, you're gonna get garbage. And what is true of computers is also true of the human mind. And it's not just an analogy because the human mind is the most complex computer ever conceived. In fact, the human mind is far more complex and far more advanced than the most advanced computer ever designed. But the basic principle of garbage in, garbage out is true today when it comes to uh, who we are. It's true of computers and it's true of our minds. And as we wrap up everyday Christianity and we finish talking about what it should look like for to live for Jesus on a daily basis, I, I really can't think of any more important message to end with. And that is what you feed your mind will directly impact the life you live for Jesus. What you put into your mind and, and how you what input you provide here is going to directly translate into the, the kind of life and to the faith story you're able to write in your uh, journey with him. Uh, the average person has about 10,000 separate individual unique thoughts every day. That works out to about three and a half million thoughts per year. And if you live to be 75, you will have over 26 million different thoughts over the course of your lifetime. Already, even this morning, up until this point, most of you have had over 2,000 separate thoughts since you got out of bed this morning. You'll probably have another 8,000 before you hit the pillow tonight. And then you'll start all over again tomorrow. And every one of those 10,000 thoughts that you have on a given day represents a choice that you're making, a decision to think about this, a decision to not think about that. And I want you to suppose for a second that someone gave you $10,000 this morning and said, you can spend this $10,000 any way that you'd like as long as you spend it all before you go to bed tonight. I think most of us would be pretty careful about how we spent that money, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd sit down, we'd take inventory of what we could do with that much money, and then we'd go out and do it. And it says a lot, I think, about humanity that we devote so much time to how we spend our money and making sure we do that wisely and so little time to how we spend our thoughts. It's interesting that one seems so important and the other kind of seems trivial, almost we put it on autopilot. But our, our thoughts 
really that unimportant. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, beware of what you set your mind on because that you surely will become. What you set your mind on is what you will become. Norman Vincent Peale said, change your thoughts and you change the world. And Henry Ford gave that truth a different spin when he declared thinking is the hardest work in the world, which is probably why so few people engage in it. <laughs> and then I ran across this comment. Uh, it says, two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time. So the choice is ours, whether or not our thoughts will be constructive or destructive. And that's a very interesting way of looking at our thought life that you can't have two thoughts simultaneously, so you're either gonna have constructive thinking or destructive thinking. And Proverbs gives us a biblical perspective on that issue. Proverbs 4.23 reads this way, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And obviously we've talked about this before, when the Bible refers to the heart, it's referring to our will, our soul, our intellect, our emotional being, everything kind of mashed together in this one center of our being. And my whole message this morning can be summarized in really in four words. The choice is ours. Really the choice is ours when it comes to will we have a constructive and healthy thought pattern or will we have a negative and destructive thought pattern? God gave you 10,000 thoughts today but it's up to you what to do with them, how you influence them, how you feed them. And so how is your thought life trilogy? Where is your mind at? For the rest of our time, I wanna take a look at some unhealthy ways of thinking that can get us off track. And also I wanna look at some healthy ways to keep our mind focused on what it should be. And so let's start off with some of the ways that we, we get it wrong, some of the ways that we get off track because a lot of people struggle with negative thinking. Even followers of Jesus struggle with negative thinking. Negative thoughts poison the mind and ultimately they get into our soul and they lead us in the wrong direction. And I want to give you four common examples of negative thinking. These are just things that kind of uh, a lot of people struggle with. The first one would be self-pity. Uh, and we all kind of fall into this trap sooner or later. Life is hard for all of us. I mean, that, that's the human condition. The Bible tells us life is going to be hard. It's easy to think that somehow we've been dealt an unfair hand, that what we wrestle with and what we're going through is, is more difficult, that while our neighbor is kind of basking in the sunshine, we're living in a perpetual downpour. Uh, and the self-pitying person says things like, you don't know what I'm going through. Or try living with this 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. And really the comparison game never wins. You will never win by playing the comparison game with those around you. So we start with self-pity. The second thing is blaming. And this is kind of the other extreme. Blaming is an attempt to find a scapegoat for your problems. You can't face life on your own, so you find another person who, who seems to be the source of your problems. It might be your husband, it might be your wife, it could be your children or your parents. It's often a friend, somebody close to you, a neighbor, your boss, someone at church. And blaming is dangerous because it leads to constantly living as a victim. You start to live with this victim mindset, this victim mentality that everyone is either out to get you or the cause of all your negative circumstances. And then we arrive at a third pattern of negative thinking, and that's unwillingness to change. 
And that kind of flows out of these first two categories. Because once you immerse yourself in self-pity, and then you discover that you're a victim, the logical conclusion is that either you can't change or you won't change. And that type of negative thinking, unfortunately, tends to reinforce itself. It tends to perpetuate itself. And since you can't change, then your behavior can't possibly be your own fault, right? I mean, you never have to face it honestly. And this, this type of person says things like, it's no use trying, I'll never change, or I have every right to be hurt and I'm not gonna give it up, or I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to stop. Or even we get to the point where we're saying, God made me this way, and so it's not my fault. And then finally, the fourth uh, pattern of negative thinking that a ton of people struggle with is anger and bitterness. And usually this is the eventual outcome of, of kind of this, this progression that I've just walked us through. Once you begin to pity yourself, you become a victim, but victims can't be blamed, right? And what happens is you refuse to face the possibility that you yourself are the source or at least contribute towards the problems that you're facing. And when other people suggest differently than that, you get angry, you get defensive, and you get bitter. And we can't help but become that way. You remember every miserable thing ever done to you or against you, and you obsess over the slightest negative remark that is made by others. You push back against any suggestion that your life could or should be different. And you hold grudges even though you say you don't. You glare and you turn your head when you see people you consider to be your enemies coming towards you and you shut them out cold. And guys, all of these, every one of these four areas of negative, and this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. I just kind of laid out four that build on one another and are common uh, things that people deal with and wrestle with emotionally and mentally. All of these thinking are huge negatives to the life of faith. And you need to know that your thoughts matter. Negative thinking leads to negative living. Negative thinking leads to negative living. And your life is going to follow the direction of your most dominant thought. And this is why Paul teaches us in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So he starts talking about external, what we see, what we do, okay? Don't copy the behaviors, don't copy the customs of this world. So he starts off with, this is where you need to get. And then he says, but let God transform you into a new person by what? By changing the way you think. Because your life is going to follow the direction of your most dominant thought. And then he continues, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So guys, knowing God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will, and living that out and, and separating ourselves from the world and living the way God intended for us to live all begins by allowing God to transform the way we think. It starts up here. It starts in here. It doesn't start with us saying, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop walking down this road. No, it all starts internally. So let's turn it around and look at what our thoughts could and what our thoughts should look like. Because obviously we can't just say, hey, stop thinking negatively. We've got to understand what is the alternative to that. And of course, the Bible gives us a fantastic framework to look at as we look at what a healthy and constructive thought life should be. 
because negative thinking is not the only option. The Bible clearly shows us another possibility. And at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, uh, he gives a prescription for healthy thinking that if we follow that, it has the power to transform your life. Listen to his practical advice in Philippians 4.8. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So this is the capstone on his letter to the Philippian church. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now this verse... You could just read really quickly, read it as a list and move on. But I want to pause and really dig into this list because I, this is a powerful transformational grid to align our thoughts the way God wants us to be thinking. And this verse really gives us eight questions to ask about our thought life. Before you think, before you speak, because really, the Bible says out of the, out of the overflow of the heart or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So ask these eight questions. Now, obviously, before you open your mouth, you're not going to be running through eight questions. But if we could kind of establish this filter that we put on our lives, I've always said that Philippians 4.8 is the best filter that's ever been designed. Filter for what we allow in, filter for what comes out. Philippians 4.8 is a great filter to put on your heart and on your mind and on your mouth for that matter. But I want to warn you before we jump into this list, this is not an easy list. It, this will be a work in progress for every one of us. And I don't want you throwing your hands up in the air as I get through this list and giving up in frustration because you're not thinking and living the way these questions guide us to. This is, this is fruit that is cultivated over a long period of time. You know, the best time to plant a fruit tree is 10 years ago because you're going to have a, a mature, healthy fruit tree that's producing good, ripe fruit for you to consume. So that's the best time to plant a fruit tree is 10 years ago. But the next best time to plant a fruit tree is right now. Why wait? If you don't have it, plant it. Start the process. Start putting these steps into practice. When it comes to this type of filter, when it comes to this way of thinking, if you're not there and you've never even started, well, don't just say, well, I should have done this 10 years ago. Start now. Start allowing the Holy Spirit to change the way you think. Your new story is as close as your willingness to start changing. It's your willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to begin the process in you. So here's some questions that we can ask. And the first one is, and, and it's just, it flows right through Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And so the first question we can ask is, is it true? Truth is the first test. Before you open your mouth, are you speaking the truth? Are you misleading someone? Are you trying to make yourself look better by telling only partial truth? Are you deluding yourself by dwelling on untruths about yourself or about others around you. This question rules out everything dishonest, untrue, and unreliable. Focus on what is true. Fix your mind on what is honorable. Is it honorable? And, and the word honorable means worthy of honor or worthy of reverence. It refers to something that is majestic and awe-inspiring. 
The word is used in another place in the New Testament to describe the proper qualities of an elder in the church. Honorable. Is your thought life honorable? Is your thought life appropriate that you would consider would be appropriate for someone who is in spiritual leadership over others? Do you dwell on things that are noble and of eternal consequence and eternal purpose? Or do you dwell on the frivolous and the trivial and the things that in, in the grand scheme of things don't really matter? And that goes back to a few verses ago, like we talked about, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. We tend to do that sometimes. And if you, if you focus on what is honorable, those things that, are, that are, have kingdom significance and kingdom impact, those other things will fade away. Next question, is it right? Fix your, fix your mind on what is right. And, this, and the word right here means lining up with God's standards. Now, here is a huge thing to take note of. What is right? That can sound very subjective, right? But biblically, when we talk about what is right, we're talking about aligning with God's standards. Because if we just look around us and we look at this person over here, or this person over here, or that person in leadership, we can have a sliding scale for what is right, can't we? And so well, I'm, I'm really holy when I compare myself to that person. But when I compare myself to this person, well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not as good as I could be, but I'm all right. But when we compare ourselves to Jesus, who is the ultimate standard, that's where everything falls apart for us. Because none of us measure up. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's standard of perfection. Because ultimately, that's the biblical standard, is God's standard of perfection. And not one of us can live up to that. But when it comes to our thought life, we need, to, we need to focus on what is right. Um, not is it right in my eyes, not is it right in the eyes of others, but is it right in God's eyes? You know, if your thoughts were broadcast for the world to hear, would you be ashamed and would you be embarrassed? <laughs> At times, every one of us would. If others knew what you were thinking, what would they think of you? Let your thoughts be in alignment with God's character. Next, is it pure? Fix your thoughts on what is pure. And that word means undefiled, clean, holy. It encompasses the whole area of moral purity. Is your thought life clean? To use the expression, get your mind out of the gutter. And don't forget the garbage in, garbage out rule. Is what you are feeding your mind pure? Because if you're allowing impure junk into your mind, what rattles around in your thoughts is going to be right there with it. Number five, next question, is it lovely? Fix your mind on what it, fix your thoughts on what is lovely. This is the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament, this word lovely. And it literally means love towards, love in the direction of. It has this sense of attracting loveliness like a magnet. Do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to that which is beautiful and lovely? Are we naturally gravitating in our minds and in our hearts in that direction? A thought may be true and right, but still not be lovely. Here's a simple rule. If it's not lovely, if it doesn't draw you towards the love of God, don't say it, don't think it, don't do it, don't dwell on it, and don't repeat it. Our thoughts should draw us towards the love of God. We should be gravitating in that direction. Number six, is it admirable? Fix your thoughts 
on what is admirable. In other words, is it worthy of study and contemplation? Is it worth digging into and leaning into? The question asks us to focus on the things that are positive, not negative, constructive, not destructive, things that build up and not things that tear down. And that means editing your words, censoring yourself so that you simply delete the non-admirable things from your vocabulary. Some things can be real and some things can be true, but that doesn't mean we should dwell on them. You know, Paul in Ephesians 5.12 said, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in, in secret. What Paul is saying here is don't dwell, don't fixate, don't focus on sin. Don't let your mind go there and dwell there. Certain areas of Satan's kingdom should be off limits for the people of God, not just in doing, but also in thinking. Don't dwell there. Don't focus on the evil around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I've actually heard I, it, along these, these lines, I have actually heard parents over my years as, as a youth pastor and even as a lead pastor, I've heard some parents use the excuse that they feel like they should expose their children to things so they're prepared better when they go into the real world. And this principle of concentrating on things that are admirable and lovely just destroys that line of reasoning. First of all, our children will see enough sin around them without any help from us. We don't need to facilitate that endeavor. But secondly, exposing our kids to sin runs the risk that they're going to be attracted to it. They'll be drawn towards it. Sin is sinful, and we need to do well to stay as far away as possible from sin. Not how close can we get without sinning, but how holy can we stay? How far away from sin can we keep ourselves? You don't have to lift the top off the sewer to know that it's going to stink. It's there. We understand that. But parents, protect your kids. Draw the line far back. Shield them from as much as you possibly can. Be wise in what you allow into your home. Be wise in what you allow on your kids' devices. Be wise on what they view. Be wise on what they hear. Be a parent to your children and protect them as much as you can for as long as you can. Now, if these five questions, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the six questions that we've done so far are not enough, Paul gives us two kind of catch-all categories to round this, this list out. He says, think about things that are excellent or worthy of praise. Excellent refers to virtue, things that are good and right. And worthy of praise means things that God himself would approve. So here you have two final questions. Is it morally excellent? And is it something that God would approve? Is it morally excellent? And is it something that God would approve? And these eight questions point the way for us toward healthy, biblical, and godly thinking. Paul says, fix your thoughts on them. This is a command. Fix your thoughts. It's not try hard. It's fix. Put them there. Don't let them wander. It's in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing command. Keep on focusing your thoughts in these eight areas. Find the true and think about it. Find the honorable and think about it. Find the lovely and think about it. Find the virtuous and think about it. Do it. And then verse nine tells us the benefit, what we're gonna receive. 
It says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You will have, get this, you will have the peace of God in your life. But more than that, God will be with you. The source of peace will be with you. We won't, God just won't give us peace. He will give us himself because he is the source of all peace. That sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, problem solved. Just think this way, except for one thing. We're naturally drawn toward negative thinking. All of us fight the tendency to let our minds dwell on the negative. It's a constant battle. Our mind is a battleground. So how do you change your mind? How do you fix that? Here are some practical suggestions for those who want to take Paul's advice seriously. We need to examine closely the things we are letting into our minds. It begins there. Examine closely the things we are letting into our minds because it all begins right here. Remember garbage in, garbage out? If you put garbage into your mind, garbage is what's going to flow out of your life. And this touches so many areas of life because we receive input from so many sources. And as I read this list, as I work through this list, and I'm going to read all these questions to you, I want you to think about these words that Paul gave us in Philippians 4.8. It is your life reflective of true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise in all of the areas I'm about to mention? Is it true of the music you listen to? What about the movies you watch? The radio stations you flip on in the morning? The books you read? The channels you subscribe to on YouTube? The shows you watch on Netflix? The conversations you have at work? The phone calls you make? The people you date? The places you go on the weekend? The places you go to on vacation? your secret habits, your hobbies, your daydreams, the things you do when you're away from home, the websites you visit, all of these things. Is that list from Philippians 4.8 in place as a filter over every area that I just mentioned? You may be suffering spiritually because you come to church for one hour and then spend 40 plus hours a week cramming your mind with evil and impure things. Or maybe you're simply filling your mind with spiritual junk food. And if so, we can't think that one hour on a Sunday or at a neighborhood group uh, in the middle of the week is going to somehow clean our minds up. And what it comes down to is we need to change our mental and our spiritual diet. We need to change what we're allowing into our lives because we're really, I mean, there's some things you can't avoid. You drive down the road, you see things, you hear things. You're walking through the store, you hear conversations, but we are the gatekeepers for what enters our mind and our hearts. And we need to be better at that. We need to take that charge seriously to Philippians 4, 8, our minds and our hearts. This is the logical second step. First, find out what you've been putting in your mind, then decide to change. It won't be easy because you've been hooked on junk for so long. When you change your diet physically and you change what you eat, it's not an easy process, is it? I mean, when you're, you're used to carb loading and, and eating tons of that and eating, drinking you know, soda all the time and you, you make a decision to switch, man, that's hard. Uh, it won't be easy because we've been hooked on junk, but you still have to do it. And one suggestion, if you truly want your life to change in this area, find a friend who can help to keep you accountable. 
In my experience, lasting change happens a lot faster and more lasting when someone that you respect is holding you accountable for your thoughts and for your behavior. And we need to, you know, on that note, we need to look closely at the influence of our friends. Who are the people that we're allowing input into our lives, that we're allowing a voice into our decisions, that we're allowing to influence us at a deep level. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. And that's a powerful statement. Bad company corrupts good character. You may be a virtuous person. You may be a good person. You may try to do the right things. But if you are surrounding yourself on a regular basis with negative influencers, you're, you're, you're going to eventually be corrupted by that. If you're, you know, another way of saying that, if you run with the pigs, you're going to smell like a pig. I mean, let's face it, you become like the people you hang around with. If they love to party, you're going to have to party with them or you're going to have to get some new friends. If they like to get drunk, you're going to feel uncomfortable unless you get drunk with them. If they use inappropriate language, you will pick up their vocabulary. If they are angry at the world, guess what? Pretty soon, you're going to become an angry person too. If they are negative, hostile, critical, filled with self-pity and convinced that the world has cheated them, those traits will rub off on your life sooner or later. So many Christians fall into the trap of thinking they can easily lift their friends up to where they are, and all too often they end up being dragged down. And you've heard me talk about it, you know, before uh, the different circles of relationship in our lives. The circle of intimacy is, is you and one other person, that's your spouse. And then the circle of influence are those people that you allow into your life to have a voice, to have an input. These are the people you spend the majority of your time with. And then around that is the circle of concern. And those are the people that God has strategically brought into your life that you're concerned about, that you want to be an influence on them. But you can't allow them to have a voice into your decisions and to your thought processes. The people in that circle need to be people who share your faith and your desire to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You'll never get a new mind unless you examine your friends and the impact that they have on your life. And finally, the last practical step that I have for us this morning is this. We need to make it a priority to memorize scripture. Memorize the word of God. A great place to start if you've never memorized scripture before, start with some of your favorite verses. Those ones that you've been hearing your whole life or, or just have meant a lot to you or maybe you have them on a on a magnet on your refrigerator or, you know, they're, they're uh, a, a desktop wallpaper, you know. If those are some of your favorite verses, you already probably know them casually. Now get to know them solidly. Another great place to memorize scripture is the Psalms. The reading plan we're going through as a church family this year has a Psalm every day. And I love reading the Psalms. I love it. They're an amazing place to memorize scripture because if you read enough of the Psalms, you will discover and come across the whole gamut of human emotions. Anger, sorrow, fear, despair, frustration, joy, excitement, exultation, and profound worship. So many promises of God are found in the Psalms. And more than once I found myself stressed out or bothered by some problem or some circumstance in life. And in those moments, as I begin to quote Psalm 91.1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That verse has always been profound to me. And I discover that God's word replaces chaos with peace. 
It chases away my fears. It brings my problems down to their proper size and not the inflated size that we sometimes give the problems in our lives. And I recommend serious scripture memory to everyone. It is an important discipline. As you begin to hide God's word in your heart, it will slowly but surely renew your mind. And remember what I said earlier, don't use, well, I should have started memorizing years ago as an excuse. The best time to plant a fruit tree, if you didn't do it 10 years ago, is right now. Start memorizing today. Here's another thing that's so awesome is do it as a family. Make this a act, family activity that you memorize scripture together. And, and you know, as, as we kind of bring this message to a close, I want you to remember this. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. We often have a distorted mental image of who we really are. We're very uh, uncommonly are we on point with our mental image of ourselves, but the direction our thoughts are going is more than likely who we're going to become. And that brings us back to where we started. What you think today, you become tomorrow. Your mind is the best predictor of your future. What you dwell on is what you will live out. And this is why Jesus kind of ramped up the Old Testament law. Instead of do not kill, he says that if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. Instead of do not commit adultery, Jesus said if you've lusted after someone, you're already guilty of adultery with them. Your thoughts, they take you somewhere. The question is where are your thoughts taking you? What goes in must come out. Sooner or later, your thoughts translate into reality. And the flip side is also true. If you focus on the truth, you will speak the truth. If you look at pure things, purity will mark your life. If you seek out lovely things, your life will be lovely to others. If you dwell on what is right, that, those things that are wrong will have no attraction to you. If you look for virtue, you will find it. If you search for things God approves of, you will know him better. And here is God's prescription for believers trapped in unhealthy living. Fix your thoughts. Focus on the good, the pure, the true, the holy, the right, the lovely. Find those things that God approves of and focus on them. All right, one final word and I'm done. If you are a Christian, you already have within you the power to obey this command. Not in your strength, not by the force of your will, but you can literally change your mind, renew your mind if you want to. How? By remembering that all, all of that that I just mentioned is, is all the things that are best is embodied in a person. And that person is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the most honorable son of God. He is the standard of righteousness. He is the fountain of purity. He is altogether lovely. He is the source of everything that is excellent. And he is the one whom God entirely approves and is worthy of praise. He is the embodiment of everything that Paul has commanded us to do. And it's all in Jesus, all virtue, all beauty, all holiness, all truth, all that is good and right is found in him. So fix your thoughts on these things. This is not some abstract philosophy Paul's, Paul gives us. This is not a power of positive thinking, you know, a 2,000 year old version of that, that Paul is writing to us. What is Paul writing in Philippians 4.8? It's a call to a personal relationship with Jesus. And if Christ is in your thoughts, then all these things must also be there. So our challenge today is simple. Hold on to Jesus. Think about him. 
Rest in him. Live in him. Grab hold of Jesus by faith. Walk with him. Talk with him. Learn about him. Hold on and don't let go. Then you will find it easy to fix your thoughts. And if we do that, our lives will never be the same again. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have given us some very practical guidance in your word. God, we, we know that our, our thought life is a constant struggle. It's a battleground. And the enemy wants nothing more than to distract us in where our thoughts and our heart are headed. But God, I pray that you would protect us, that we would, we would focus on Jesus and who he is in us. God, I pray that this list in Philippians 4, 8 would become a filter for what we allow into our life and what we also allow to come out of our lives. Let Philippians 4, 8 protect us. And God, I pray that maybe that would be a starting point for some of us, that that would be the first verse that we memorize. But God, let us get your word in us. God, let us get it in us at a level that is so deep that it will never leave us. God, I pray that you would help us to, to really evaluate the, the, the people that we allow to influence us, those people that we allow super close to us and allow to speak into our circumstances and our decisions. God, I pray that you would help us to, to limit that and to evaluate that to those that share our, our faith and share our love for Jesus. God, as we do all these things, I pray that you would renew our minds, transform us by renewing our minds. God, change the way we think. And in doing so, God, would you change the way we live? Let us live in such a way that is gonna glorify you in everything we do and say. We thank you, God. Let us do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.